We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Brett Rower. Brett is the high school strategic partnerships lead at outlier.org. He spent 15 years in the New York City public school system as an educator, assistant principal, and principal. Outlier.org is reimagining higher education as a resource that is accessible, equitable, and affordable for everyone by developing high-quality university-level courses taught by some of the most celebrated educators in their respective fields. Welcome, Brett. It's nice to have you. Thank you so much for having me this morning. As a side note, Brett and I met about a month ago at the ASU GSV conference and had a chance to chat there. And I was really looking forward to having him and sharing some of his insights and experience with everyone. So can you tell us a little bit more about outlier.org, kind of how it works, who your educators are, where they come from, and the problem that that it was designed to solve? Absolutely, yes. So outlier.org is on a mission to reduce student debt and increase access to high-quality education. So when we think about who that is, it's typically students in urban and rural districts who don't have access to the high quality, especially dual enrollment options that many of us were fortunate enough to have. So we really try to empower students at the high school, college, and even post-college age level to save time and money through online, best-in-class dual enrollment courses. Our students are able to earn transferable college credits from the University of Pittsburgh, which is a top 60 nationally ranked school. And our instructors are handpicked from schools like Yale, Harvard, MIT, Cornell, NYU. And we're really fortunate that you know, we're being recognized for creating an invention. Time Magazine listed us as one of their best inventions of 2020. And as you mentioned, the cost being only $400 per course, it really is opening up what students have access to. And what I'm most uh, impressed by and what really caused me to want to join the team at outlier.org is 
the fact that students have access to just really the best in class education and that level of quality control in knowing what you're getting every time when you apply to outlier.org and take one of our courses. That was so me in high school. So I grew up in a really rural area and the only, really the only opportunity around me was my high school. And, you know, I was bored. I was taking as few classes as I could so that I could get out and I could go to work. I could do other things, but really looking for more challenge. And if I would have had the opportunity to take some college courses or courses for credit or even just really interesting courses by amazing teachers, that would have been such an incredible experience. Yes. And I think you are the outliers that we are looking for, modern day versions of yourself who at the high school level, especially, which is where my background was in education prior to joining outlier.org. Those were the type of students who I always, in hindsight now, recognize I didn't have a third pathway, the best fit option for them. Because when you are fortunate enough, you know, having worked in New York City, having urban dual enrollment options um, for students, it always comes at an opportunity cost. If you want to go to the local community college, which is fantastic, if you have one geographically bound to uh, where you go to high school, you're at the whim of, do they have seats available for you that specific semester? The opportunity cost of, oh, I really wanted to play sports this season, or I wanted to try out for the play, or be part of student government or other extracurricular activities, or as you said, employment, or you might just have other needs for you and your family that you have to be present and available for. So I always feel like everything came at an opportunity cost for the students I served. And so I love that outlier.org being, you know, an online asynchronous course option for students allowed them that flexibility for those students who really wanted to take advantage of opportunities that are available to them. So what, you know, what else in education or what were the biggest challenges that you saw, you know, working within the New York City district that really led you to move to ed tech in general? And I know you talked a little bit about the problems that caused you to move to outlier.org, you know, but what what were the kind of the bigger issues that made you look for something different and start to look into ed tech for solutions? Oh, it's an excellent question. I don't think uh, some of the epiphanies I would have had that would have made me recognize ed tech is uh, an area I could see myself in would have been possible, honestly, without the unfortunate pandemic that we all faced the past year and a half. That really did shake me as an educator, um, recognizing all of the hard work and effort that educators, teachers, counselors, especially on the social, emotional and academic front, put into that initial transition to, you know, the remote virtual world that we found ourselves in. And even with all those efforts, just how steep the learning curve was and where we still found ourselves with gaps. It made me recognize immediately that we're not going to be able to solve this on our own. We need to find solutions. We need to find partners. And I will be the first to admit as a New York City principal trying to fix the most immediate pressing concerns at hand when we were back on our campus, I wasn't really looking in a visionary sense how so many things in ed tech were happening that could have supported our students both when we were in campus and then when we went remote. So I realized that I myself was at a gap in terms of where the forefront of ed tech was going for high school students specifically and K-12 education in general. And once I started to recognize those things were out there, it really started to open my eyes to, wow, the impact that ed tech has already had, but is about to have with how much more openness there was at the administrator and educator level in education, and even parents as well, and students, their openness to doing things online. They're recognizing that there's some really amazing ways to change the future of education. And just like many other people, just the impact that had me on a personal level made me recognize I'd love to be part of that impact. And I'd love to bring another way to learn, in this case, outlier.org, 
to people across the country and just increase my hopefully my impact on the world of education. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K to 12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com B for a demo. That's IXL.com B-E. Wow. Yeah, you bring up some good points. And it was something I had a conversation with Kelly Smith on, on episode one. And he was talking about his shift into project-based learning and how what's he like made that mindset shift, just how many other people were out there in this whole world that had already defined like what this was and given it terms and talking about how it happens. And I hear you saying a similar thing from a principal's point of view that like, wow, we've been doing this thing for so long, kind of the way we do it and the way we were taught and the way the system does it. And then the pandemic comes along and creates this this opportunity or this need to really see what else is out there and what everybody else is doing and how can we bring these things into our schools, into our high schools, into our K-12 system and make it work. So I'm hearing this disconnect between a lot of things that are happening in the world of education and a lot of things that are happening in a lot of schools. So what kind of what are your ideas on how to bring those things together more cohesively? You know, how can we make more ed tech available to more schools? Um, and share, you know, share all of these thoughts and these things that are happening. Yeah. Well, one thing that you just said that you know made me laugh was uh, you mentioned one of your first guests talking about once they went to project-based learning, they realized there's a whole world and a whole community out there for them. And so I just recently went to a presentation from Getting Smart and they were talking about the portrait of a graduate back in Brooklyn in like the mid 2000s said, if you could build Utopia High, what would it look like for your students? What does that look like? And then we started building something called Picture the Graduate. And we started to have alumni events where students would come and speak to our current students. And we would always ask them, what did we get wrong? Like, what would a better version of a graduate look like? What were you underprepared for in your first years of college? I smash cut and say that because I didn't know that that's actually, there's an actual organization that does exactly that. And they help schools build their pictures of graduates. So bridging that gap between what is happening organically in schools and finding out that there are all these scaffolds and supports out there for like-minded educators and whatever that version is, whether it's big picture learning, whether it's a uh, project-based learning, you know, how to build um, working backwards from whatever graduate, the tools they should have upon leaving your institution, they're out there. And I think the hardest part for educators are you are faced with crisis after crisis and you're just in the midst of it every day and finding authentic ways to take real breaks or to take time to look and see what's out there for support. It's very hard to think long-term when everything in the short-term, especially these past few years, is just reactionary. And for those leaders who have that foresight, who have that capability, who have built their teams where they have members of their team going out and finding those, or hopefully uh, administrators above them or on their superintendency or district level, opening their eyes to them. But 
most importantly, I hope people are looking for things like your podcast or going to conferences like ASU GSV. And if you are going there, sharing what you're learning and really trying to turnkey it to people who might not have the bandwidth to attend those conferences or even though they exist, because that's just unfortunately in nature of education, there are these silos. Everyone is trying their best, but if you don't get access to this amazing opportunities, it can come at a disservice to you and your students. So bridging those gaps is the most important aspect to me. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a really good point about how educators are really, I mean, they're almost like doctors, right? They're giving acute care all the time, both because they're dealing with humans and because of the present moment um, and because they're just overworked a lot of the time. We have big classrooms and not enough people supporting and helping. They need more time and they need to be able to go to conferences. They need to be able to do research. They need to be able to talk to each other more from different districts and different places in different parts of the country and making that happen. There's your next ed tech project, Brett. (laughs) One takeaway from ASU GSV that uh, I am working on is something that uh, was brought there, which was just called like meet good humans, essentially. And it was just a place for people in different areas of ed and ed tech to just come together, very briefly introduce themselves and then go off and, you know, find like-minded individuals and meet and try to help each other. And that was something that I actually brought back to like my LinkedIn world is just, I literally call it good coffee with good humans. And there are people around the country who have robust LinkedIn networks, but aren't tapping into them. And now, you know, again, one of the unlocks that we're on Zoom all the time, it is not difficult to really find a great educator or great person in ed tech or an innovator to just sit down and have a quick Zoom meeting with and just have your world transformed constantly. So that would definitely be something utilize the fact that you probably are connected to the people who have some solutions right there for you. And it's just a matter of doing a little bit of uh, being proactive and just putting yourself out there and saying, I would love to hear what you're doing differently right now. And it really has unlocked my thinking. And it's, again, something that I don't think would have happened a few years back. And it definitely wouldn't have happened if I had made the shift to EdTech and been inspired by you know seminars and workshops like at ASU GSV. Yeah, that's really great advice. Even spending five minutes a day to build that network and then actually meet and talk to those people. I think some of the best conversations that I've had and part of what has been really great, honestly, about the pandemic for me is taking that time to actually talk to those connections and those people that I've met on LinkedIn. And frankly, it's how this project started. (laughs) Yeah. Going back, you mentioned something else about, you know, building your portrait of a graduate and what would your utopian high school look like? So I'd love to hear like when you envision the future of high school or what that utopian high school really looks like, what does that look like? Okay. Wow. Having been fortunate enough to serve as a teacher, college advisor, assistant principal, principal, and now taking a step back, I think this question, even just a few months or years ago would have been completely different because you, it's fortunate sometimes to leave and get that perspective of being on the balcony again and being like, wow, I'm not in the nitty gritty. So I think probably the two biggest buckets I would most want to find for students is how do you systematize grace? So one thing that I reflected on is by trying to achieve really great outcomes for students, what happens to the students that don't still make it? And what am I doing to support them or my, you know, my school and my team? So just to give a brief analogy, when I started in 2017 in my school, one in two students did not graduate from my school. We had a 48% grad rate. Four years later, almost nine out of 10 did. So we had an 87% graduation rate. Wow. And anyone in education that cares knows this already. So I'm not speaking, you know, anything that you all don't know, but 
you care more about that 13% than you do about that 87%. And that's what keeps you going is like, well, how do I, how do I continue to close that gap? Right. I'm really proud of the progress, but any educator knows that that's what you care about is that last 13%. But it also comes down to what about that 13%? Like if they couldn't keep up with all the system structures and supports, I mean, it's quote unquote working in terms of progress, but how do you systematize that? How do you build in the real supports that they still are somehow lacking? And how do you make them not give up or not feel like they're not worthy of uh, all that extra attention and care that they deserve, but building it within a coherent system that does achieve outcomes for the vast majority of your students? That's a really difficult situation, especially when you take into account factors like uh, recently arrived students uh, that might be coming from other countries and you know, coming out there's with social, emotional, and cultural differences that we need to support them in their transition acclimation into school, but also then any uh, challenges they might have as a learner, or any disabilities that they might they might be taking into the into the classroom or the or their setting. So that would be one is how do you systematize grace, and then the second one is how do you build in flexibility. It is really hard when you think about trying to achieve really great outcomes for students, allowing students that individualized pathway. And that is something that I really struggled with. Again, I was a, I was a systems thinker. I will admit that now. It's hard to be a systems thinker and try to do the best for all and realize that's not the best for all. Like that's a really hard thing to, for myself now to admit and wrap my head around. But, uh, those would be the two things if I built, if I had the chance to rebuild a utopian high school, how to really make those my core values and embed them within my school from the ground up. Yeah. I think those are really great goals. I mean, definitely, you know, how do we create systems that support everyone, even those that are struggling with different challenges? And how do we make it flexible enough to support everyone? And you mentioned being a systems thinker, and it's something that I talk a lot about is that our public school systems are designed to create systems that kind of support and push through the majority, right? So you were getting anywhere from 48 to 87% successful right? Graduating and push through. So the majority is doing all right. But what about those other kids that aren't? And how do we create a system, you know, like outlier.org? How do we create a system that's accessible and equitable for everyone? Those are lofty goals for education. Yeah. And I will say that, again, one of those things in hindsight is finding ways where you're not overburdening teachers. I think also just to bring it back for a moment, outlier.org, one thing that I I wish I had this way for students to like expose themselves to new materials, find things that inspire them or they want to be engaged in. The the opportunity cost always came at bringing new opportunities to students meant you were also going to potentially overburden, overwhelm your staff or always the right educators are always going to yes end and want to do more. But the best educators know when that limit is. And I was really fortunate to get to work with some great teachers who knew I can help this many students do this exact thing. And I think this is the most meaningful way I can be of service to students. And when you tried to add on additionals, the ones that actually said no were the ones later I wound up being like, wow, that foresight of knowing that you spread yourself too thin, you cannot actually do the work in a meaningful way. That's where EdTech can support these opportunities in these schools, like an outlier.org, where you can bring flexibility, you can bring asynchronous instruction, you can bring student support from outside of your community and allow your community to have even more opportunities and more access to really great educational tools. That's something, again, that I hope begins to become the norm in education across the country. And I hope, you know, this is just one opportunity to share that. Yeah. So your work throughout working with New York City schools has really focused on the graduation rate among high school students and making college accessible and affordable. 
So what do you see as the challenge to high school graduation now? And how can we evolve even further to support more students? Well, I think high school graduation in itself, right? We talk about that because it's an incredible benchmark for future outcomes and future success. So getting students there in whatever version you're doing, that is, that is to me, the most meaningful work. And whether that is at the four-year rate, five-year or six-year graduation rate for high school students, finding the ways, again, to get them to that level really equipped. And again, that's, these are terms that every school district or every even individualized school has their own philosophy about what it means to be equipped and what a, a, a model graduate looks like. But for using the, the benchmark of high school graduate as one measure of success, I think the next step is, again, what are they doing afterwards, right? You're equipping them to do something, to serve some purpose in their own lives, to reach their own personal, professional, and educational goals. So one thing that, again, I've really reflected on is what were areas where I thought my mission and my purpose were actually aligning with students' future outcomes and where did I maybe fall short? And one area definitely was college and career readiness. So we made sure that our students achieved college and career readiness through the metrics that New York City uh, high schools used because it also meant they would avoid remedial classes in college. And just knowing, again, that's just another barrier for so many students. And I'm, I'm specifically speaking about New York City high school students, but there's a nationwide issue as well. Coming in not at college ready level means going through the remedial labyrinth. And for many students, that's just barriers they're not going to get through or succeed in. So being college ready to me meant allowing you to start at a playing field with, with your peers that allows you access to, to graduate in a timely fashion and, and access to all the, uh, financially that should be available to you through your state and through to the federal government. But even more importantly, what I've definitely learned is, again, using that term systematized grace, many students, it's usually something outside of their control that leads to them not being successful in college. So what I mean by that is something happens in your family's life that means you might have to take an extra job on, or you might now be doing the childcare for your family or community that many other students who typically are successful at the college level it's not about their aptitude. It's not about their ability. It's about their adversity. And they're not facing the same adversity. So leveling that playing field, uh, one way I really believe is important to do that is by allowing high school age students opportunities to earn dual enrollment college credits so that they have a cushion. So if, you know, in a worst case scenario, you need to take time off from school because something outside of your control has happened, you have some college credits banked already. And they came to you at hopefully through your high school or an opportunity program at no additional cost to you or your family. So now you're really addressing the, one of the biggest issues and one of the biggest turnoffs for students sticking with college, which is a student debt, as well as sometimes feeling like there's, the system is stacked against you, which in many cases for many students, it truly is. And so we're just trying to find solutions to that. And that, that has always been my biggest goal is finding solutions and knowing these things that are now out there in this transition from education to ed tech has been a uh, well, really transformative in my own perspective on what it means to really help students. So I'm grateful for this opportunity, but those are some of the key findings that I learned along the way that got me here today. Yeah, I think it's stuff that I talk about as a leader quite a bit. And just to boil down, I think a lot of what you said, like we need to remove obstacles and provide resources. And so through finding solutions, through creating systematizing grace, through creating flexibility, and through kind of reorganizing the way that we do education, letting those educators that know what they excel at do what they do best and not overloading them and providing flexibility. Like you mentioned, a high school graduation doesn't need to be four years. It could be three years. It could be five years. It could be six years. 
the point is that we're, you know, removing those barriers of when this necessarily needs to be done or it's over and you can't do it anymore. Right. And allowing for that flexibility of other things that happen in life. Because, you know, once you're out of high school, it can take as long as it needs to take to get through college or grad school. And we job hop and we change careers and we change interests. And all of that becomes very flexible after K to 12 school. Yes. So how do we find ways to bring that part of life into K to 12 schools? Yeah. And I think one other, again, things that with this new perspective, just a few, you know, a few months out of being a public educator, um, the idea of access and equity is obviously we all say it. And I think one big takeaway I had is many schools really are doing a great job of providing students with dual enrollment options. And they're using what may be, you know, quote unquote, more traditional options. So building in college courses within your school day or partnering with, again, local um, geographically bound community colleges or colleges that are offering opportunities to students. You know, I know everyone would say this, but I really did. I worked with some amazing educators and uh, they were so passionate about bringing new courses to students. But again, to talk about like the burden we put on teachers, I went from zero to seven advanced placement courses in two years. And that's seven teachers learning another prep, training over the summer. The anxiety that comes with, they're now the, the stewards for students taking a college level course for the first time. They have this massive exam that's one shot, high stakes, and teachers take that on. And they're also, you know, this is one of the interesting parts of education. You brought up your doctors before. I mean, you're learning on the job with doctors. They're learning with patients how to be amazing lifesavers, but they're learning on patients. And same thing with educators. When they're trying to bring a new amazing course to students and give them access, they're learning on the job and they're teaching students in real time. And that's very hard. That's another reason why when you think about how you're going to introduce students to college level work, finding something that is a high quality, that's accessible. And that makes students really excited because it's the first time they might ever take a college level course and they have that belief that I'm worthy of a college level course. But what happens if that first college level course is not high quality or that teacher is overwhelmed through no you know fault of their own or it's just not engaging what the students thought it was going to be like? That might also be the reason they don't pursue higher ed because of that initial experience. So that first encounter with dual enrollment at the high school level, something I'm also now just incredibly attuned to and again, really grateful to be at an organization where we can expose students to really high level quality, inspiring education. Yeah. Thank you. Taking a step back from high school education, I run an elementary school. And so I love to ask all of my guests about a memory that they remember from elementary school. You know, it could be anything, but can you share something that stands out to you from your elementary school experience? Yeah. So when I Think of the time that we got to spend together at ASU GSV and you told me a little bit about your personal, you know, experience and your, and your reason why for founding your school that you're currently uh, a leader of. It definitely made me think of one experience that is very 30, almost years later. I have no idea like what the organization was, why they came there for one day only and like why this wasn't like part of our entire mission and focus as young people. But uh, when I was in one of my later grades of elementary school, so for argument's sake, let's say fourth or fifth grade, we did this assignment where we went into this room and we all went on the floor and they gave each student in my class a different task with also a different hindrance. So mine was they gave me these gloves, mitts, mittens, and then they asked me to put like different shapes into different boxes, you know, so like a star shape into a star shaped hole. And it was really difficult and it took a really long time. And they had us all doing these really intricate, engaging things, but with different ways to make it more challenging for us. And I did it. 
And I distinctly remember when the, I guess, instructor, whoever they brought in that day came and like looked at me. She was like, did you do it? Like, I did it. And I remember like smiling. I actually like distinctly remember looking up and smiling. And then she knocked it over. She goes, do it again. And I remember like being crushed. And I was always a fairly good student. And so like, I really have to admit at that age, I was probably like both the exhilaration of like achieving something really challenging and also like the devastation of not being recognized for it and like being just told like, do it again. That's not good. It obviously was part of a bigger, you know, learning lesson, which was trying to teach us that not everybody has the same abilities as you and everyone's different and that make sure that you're treating, you're, you're recognizing and honoring the work of everyone. And, uh, I don't know if they say that out loud. I don't know why I didn't think that part of how come that's not core and essential to everything we do. Hopefully it lives and imbibes itself in what we do as educators. But anyway, that was something I'll never forget. As you can tell, it was a really uh, important experience that was just such a great idea to bring to young people that you have different challenges than others. When you wear their, their hat or do their journey, you, you'd be shocked at what they find to be exciting or what they find to be that what achievements they feel proud of and worthy of. And that you hopefully are recognizing that and not adding to their feelings of, you know, unworthiness or not being recognized for their accomplishments. So anyway, that it's a long way of saying that was a really uh, great life lesson that I don't know who thought of that in my elementary school. I'm glad they did. <laughs> yeah. Usually people share something that stands out because it was an activity that was different than what they normally did. And I, I hope that more elementary schools and, and middle schools and high schools are teaching these types of accessibility and social emotional lessons. But it's great that that's what you remember from elementary school. And if your elementary school teachers are listening, they're probably wondering why you don't remember them more. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's those experiences that stand out. Yeah. So, Brett, how, how can people get in touch with you to learn more? Yeah. So um, outlier.org, that is our website, www.outlier.org, O-U-T-L-I-E-R.org. We have areas there if you're a, a high school. We have an area there for our partnerships page. We're also partnering with educational access organizations as well as colleges and universities. We're really trying to find students where they are and trying to be a solution-based organization for anyone in the educational space right now. And also if you're a high school student or parent listening right now, we also have a high school landing page where you can learn more about how you as an individual student or family can sign up for one of our courses. And that also you know, obviously applies to people at the college level or those at the postgraduate level or those adults looking to re-engage in the college experience. So we're really here for everyone. And that's probably the easiest way to find us and learn more about the great work we're doing at outlier.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Brett. This has been wonderful. You too. Thank you so much. Have a great day, time. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, UP Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. 
When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.